Oscar Poker. talking about the uh, Los Angeles Film Festival, which has just started a few days ago, and um, Jeff, of course, as usual, is the man about town. I, of course, am, as usual, am the person hiding in my house. <laughs> 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 Nothing new there. But, hey, um, listen, every time I sit before the, uh, the my, Mac, my MacBook Pro, my 13-inch, uh-huh. uh, with my maximized memory and the beautiful Wi-Fi that I finally got after... Uh, relentless attempts from Time Warner to make it faster. Mm. Uh, I'll tell you, every time I sit here, I think this is my comfort place. This is my happiness place. This is, mm. you know, the world is kept out. It's me and the cats and the oh. and, and the 50-inch uh, high-def uh, screen playing Sweet Smell of Success. This is my yeah. element. Oh, no, I have to go out now. Oh, no, the threatening world. <laughs> I know. <laughs> People, unpredictable <laughs> things, confrontations, hurt feelings. <laughs> <It's> funny. <laughs> anyway, no, I know you're right. Um, so, so anyway, Jeff is talking about the events for tonight. And um, I have only gone to, at this point, only gone to see Drive, which I absolutely loved. I think it's going to be one of the best movies of the year for sure. Yeah, um, but, it, but in, a, in a very genre-like way, right? Oh yeah, well, it, it it like the Coens, it sort of nods to the genre, you yeah. know, it nods to the film noir. The only right. thing about it, and I love how funny it is. Like what I love about it is that the director, you know, his own. We heard him speak before the show, and he definitely has a very quirky, dry sense of humor, and it comes through in his work because it's it's funny, you know, it's like Scorsese violence, like it's sort of funny. Mm-hmm. It's so absurd that it's funny. Like, there's this one really great scene where... I hope I'm not spoiling... Ah, I don't know if I want to spoil this movie. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was wait, just going to say there's a great scene where... Okay, so the whole time... I mean, if you're a woman and you're watching this movie, you're looking at Ryan Gosling and you're going, Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like... To me, it was like seeing Brando in Streetcar or Brad Pitt in Fight Club. It's one of those performances uh-huh. where he steps up and he's like, this is like the hottest guy in Hollywood right this moment. But yeah. anyway, I'll probably cut that out to not gross Why? out. Why? What's wrong with that? Because your readers are so weird. They're always like, oh, gross. She talked about nothing that. wrong with saying that a, that a guy is good looking and he's hot and he's... You know, yeah, his, I mean, I mean it both pain. as a woman, but I also mean it in terms of just an observer of, of Hollywood stars and how, you know, they, they do come into their own at some point and they mm-hmm. crest. And he's definitely sure. cresting right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know what he said in Cannes? He said that he felt that he had reached the end of a particular sort of indie quirky road with um, Blue Valentine. Mm, 
Yeah, well, he he's said, yeah, he's definitely he, owning it now. He's owning yeah. that Ryan Gosling thing that he's been trying to avoid. You know, like mm-hmm. how Brad Pitt sort of owned it in Fight Club and in um, yeah. Legends of the Fall, which I hate. It's a terrible movie, but mm-hmm. you know, he's like saying, "Yeah, I acknowledge it. <laughs> I acknowledge that I'm one of the gods among yeah. you." And yeah. in Drive, Ryan Gosling, every shot of him, whether he's walking just in the garage or staring at Carrie Mulligan. Mm, that's has, the greatest part of it, I think. He's oh staring at Carrie Mulligan, or, and she's staring at him back. And she is so yeah. good. She's mm-hmm. so good in it. She is definitely Eva Marie Saint to his um, Marlon Brando. And, you know, mm. she's so vulnerable and so sweet and so pure. And yet she cannot help but be moved by this man. Because who wouldn't be? Mm-hmm. But the best scene, I think, is in the elevator, you know, where they're standing there and they're just looking at each other. And he leans in and he kisses her. <laughs> Five minutes later, he turns around and he, and he stomps the man's skull <laughs> into a bloody pulp. It's like, yeah. oh my god! But you know, um, I didn't. It didn't have. I didn't have no criticisms of it. Like, I didn't really like his musical choices. I have to say, like, um, I know um, Cliff Martinez did the music. I don't know if he picked the songs, but some of the songs I thought were a little too on the nose. You know, a little too literal of what was happening on screen. So if I had it to do in the editing room, I would take that some of those songs out myself. If if you had scored this film, given the quality of the cuts that you always choose to begin Oscar Posker, it would be that much better. Because <laughs> 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 you have excellent taste in music. Thank you. Thank you. Every yeah. time every time I listen to it, I go, "Wow, what is that?" I gotta, you know, buy. In fact, we should. Uh, you should always include should. The, I know. the name of the cut. You know, I gotta do that from now on. I'm gonna include the bumper music. I'll do it at the end. So, because yeah. I know a lot of it's sort of obscure. But um, mm. anyway, so that's drive so, for me. But Jeff has a lot of LA Film Festival stuff, and I'm sure Phil, you want to talk about box office a little bit. Yeah, let's get into the whole thing about the uh, what's what's called. Uh, I think that people who maybe are not, uh, you know, um, hardcore box office uh, followers, are probably trying to ask themselves, now, how is it that the Green Lantern, which some people, according to the, that I spoke to last weekend, really thought was fine, they, they, they liked it. How is it that a movie that made $53 million with, uh, you know, and it's not exactly, you know, a high-end, top-tier superhero thing, the Green Lantern's a little on the more obscure side, uh, makes $53 million. How is that considered to be a, a kind of a bust, which is what most people are, are saying? So how would you characterize that? You, you have to look at it as a bust because it's not going to hold up really well. I mean, the, the word of mouth on this thing is absolutely toxic. Mm. Um, all the signs are, are pointing to it. It had a, a B from Cinema Score, which is, it sounds good, but it's actually not, you know, it, compared to the, the normal grades you see for a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, X-Men, I'm pretty sure, had an A or, you know, so it, it's not going to hold up nearly as well as X-Men First Class. Do, do they hand out B B minuses B pluses or is it just a plain letter grade without any pluses or minuses? No, you can get plus and minus. Yeah. Well, yeah. did it get a straight B then? You're saying? Yeah, it got a straight B. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and the uh, the one thing that's pretty disconcerting is its score on Flixster, which is a site that um, you know it keeps a lot of user reviews, and right now it's a 62 percent on air. Whereas Super 8's at 81%. So you can see the kind of, you know, difference in something that's being loved and something that's kind of, you know, it's just going to fall off a cliff next weekend. It's going to be a a disaster. And this thing costs, I mean, we have 
a total budget of around, you know, 275 million for this thing. And, and it, it could be more or whatever, but that's including, you know, advertising and everything. So hmm. no way is this going to be a success. And I don't think we'll see more Green right. Lantern movies. Oh, mercifully. dear. I mean, no. did you guys see it? No. Or did oh, you even... No. I would never see that, no. Nothing about it. i got to tell you, I I made a decision last week not to go to the uh, Wednesday all-media that I was allowed to go to. And I still haven't. uh, But, but I, you know, obviously I I need to, but I just haven't done it. I walked out after an hour, so. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't stand another second of it. I mean, it's just so. How many movies have you walked out of, do you think, Phil? Uh, Not many, right? No, I I try not to do it. I try to, you know stick it out but i mean after an hour if a movie isn't grabbing me in any way uh, i kind of just give up oh god it must have been horrible then like really bad yeah i mean the cgi is bad it's the same old it's it's that superhero origin story that's just been done to death there's you know like a training sequence he begrudgingly accepts his role blah 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 blah. it's just Mm -hmm. i can't stand another second of it It, it, this stuff has just been done to death and you know Enough. Mm. Enough is enough. Mm. It's been. It was being claimed by this guy Ray DeRus that uh, I'm sure many other people feel this way. That that the um, and this is this is music to my personal ears. That the comic book movies have come to the end of the of the string, and people are just sick of the whole um, you know repetitious uh, uh, you know themes and and plot elements that are used in every single one of them. What do you think? Or, yeah, I mean, the sequels will still do well. I mean, a new Batman movie will still do well. A new Iron Man movie will still do well. Everything like that. But The Superman think, movie will probably do well, no? Zach Yeah, that's a big character. But with these lesser-known characters, I think what we're seeing now is you're not getting these $100 million opening weekends for these things like you used to. I mean, Iron Man came out, did $100 million, you know. Um, and that's just not happening anymore because they've kind of already tapped into the, the characters that everybody knows, and now they're, you know, kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel in some ways um and yeah I, I think people just aren't as excited about them anymore because it's just an overload um you know if we need to take a break from it for a bit it's still a it's still a genre with a lot of potential but when you keep hitting audiences over the head mm. with this stuff they're going to get sick of it and that's i think what's happening i absolutely agree with um the guy you just quoted you yeah. know i've been saying it for a while too yeah so. you'd have been um, um well, anyway, so anything interesting happening in the indie world? I heard that um, Page One, the uh, New York Times documentary, did okay on box office. Does do you have any um, information on that, or was did I yeah, not read that right? Um, that was where is that? I think I got an IndieWire alert about it or something, but um, I'm keeping a look uh-huh. at that on the you know keeping that on my radar because I'm wondering if it if it will make the um, the Oscar documentary category what do you think about that jeff that um page one i I would think that people would be um automatically defaulting to uh page one because they feel very comfortable and uh and intimate and supportive of the struggle of the new york times to maintain its uh is is is, and some sort of economic model that works Mm -hmm. in the new you know, all digital, no more um, dead tree mode. So yes, uh, without a question, without a doubt, without uh, any hesitation, it'll be a, one of the one of the five because um, number one, it's a very very well made film, and it's uh, it does <clears throat> uh, portray 
the uh, the trials that the New York Times has been going through, and it has a superstar. It has a Batman yeah, figure. It has sure a does. you know a cool guy, uh, our our friend David Carr, who who really comes off as a as a charismatic charismatic, uh, flavorful, fun guy to hang with and to learn from. So it's got. You know, plus people want the New York Times succeeded. They've been reading it for decades. We all love the 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 fact that it's there and plugging away. It's not perfect, but you know, so yeah, absolutely. It's going to be fun. funny to see if David Carr. I mean, if it actually goes to the Oscar race, because then there he'll be. You know, on the other side of the red carpet, he's going to be the only person that I personally. Well, Todd McCarthy kind of did when he did his short film, but. Mm-hmm. David Carr will be much more high profile, but he'll be the only person who did Oscar blogging on one side and then turned around <laughs> and walked the red carpet. I'm sure there are plenty of people who write about the Oscars that would love to be in that position, you know? When I first saw it in January at Sundance, uh, and I s- taped a video a uh, press conference uh, thing that he did with the director and with Ann Thompson, and I uh, talked to him briefly, and I just said, you know, you're like the, the samurai uh, star of this film, you know? And it really, you know, you you really cut a, a nice profile, and it's uh, it's, it's exceptional. You're like people really are getting off on you. Mm. And he goes, you know, I, he I, he immediately he doesn't know what to do with this. I don't know. If, I don't think he likes it at all. It's not. It certainly doesn't want to be in, in the front talking about how interesting or, or cool he is. But that's what's going on. So yeah, well, well he is interesting and cool. Mm. While we're on the topic of documentaries, can we bring up um, Conan O'Brien? Can't stop. That's, yeah, that opens next weekend. That was pretty um, good. I saw that in South Park. Did you see it recently, Phil? Or? Yeah, yeah. They had the New York thing, and um, you know, it's it. When I I loved it. I think it's a great documentary, and I don't. You know, it probably doesn't have a shot at getting in in the top five. You know, the the a nomination, but. I mean, why do I'd like to ask a question? Well, why don't you think so, Phil? Because last year you were kind of one of the first people that I ever talked to who said that they thought that um, Exit um, Exit Through the Gift Shop was going to get nominated, and I just said, no, no, no way, it's too popular. And you were kind of onto something there, obviously, because it did get nominated. So I'm wondering if uh, if you might be onto something here. I hope the tide is turning. Because I mean, it it always seems to me like the documentary category has to be full of you know these very serious topics. They can't let anything in that's kind of tongue-in-cheek or even remotely funny, and they have to make some kind of statement mm. with the movie that wins. You know, it always has to be something like Inside Job or something Michael Moore's done. And, I mean, I get that in some way, but shouldn't it just be about what the best documentary is? I love Conan O'Brien Can't Stop. It's a great showbiz documentary, and I think it's going to hold up multiple to multiple viewings. And... You know, it's it's on the surface. It just seems like a blowjob thing. It's like, hey, let's film Conan, you know, after on his tour and everything. But it's mm. not. I mean, it shows him at his worst. I mean, Jeff, you've seen it. Those scenes are excellent. Some of the stuff that they captured. He, he um, does have a vulnerability, and he is um, uh, basically doing this tour to recover from the trauma of the Jay Leno, um, you know. Um, episode that everybody wrote about in which he, you know, was asked to basically take a later slot and he was insulting and he, and he, he well, we all know the story. So it's basically about reco- recovery from, from trauma and letting out some of the mm. anger and some of the, and also getting into the music. He's a pretty good musician. Uh, I was impressed by that, actually. Pretty good sounding uh, band and so basically uh, pretty, pretty nice piece. I mean, I, I was complete, but it's not a major film. It's just in a kind of a mid-range, very, very um, uh, attractive and engaging, never boring, and I was glad that I saw it. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it opens next weekend, and I, I think it does well, or I, I hope it does well, and um, you know, I'd like to to get out there and say, look, I mean, mm-hmm. this this shouldn't be ignored. I mean, just because it's not, you know, trying to solve world hunger. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's actually so. quite an interesting dude. I um, I mean, I know everybody knows that he's interesting, but I mean, I, I listened to um, the Mark Marin podcast with him on there. It was a really lo- interesting, long discussion they had. And, you uh-huh. know, when he talks like a regular person, he's not always on. He's not on funny. Like, he's really kind of tight in his head and neurotic and interested in other things besides Hollywood, you know? I got to tell you, I had a, a moment when I was really repelled by him, though. And this was uh, something I would... Did, it, he, did he Bradley very... Cooper? <laughs> did he Bradley Cooper, Jeff? <laughs> no. Sorry. No, no, it wasn't nothing to do with Bradley Cooper. No, I know Bradley you... Bradley Cooper is okay in my book since he spoke French. <laughs> I've changed my whole attitude since ever since I heard him speak French. I said, okay, let's hands off this guy. So, you know. Anyway, um, he uh, had Bill Maher on. And... Uh, you know, you don't have Bill Maher on so that Bill Maher will get out a magician's hat and do card tricks. Mm. You know, he's going to be Bill Maher. And every time Bill went in a, in a blunt direction about the, about the nature of Fox News or about teabaggers or about Republicans, you know, Conan was almost like visibly, he was looking to like, please, let's not get so blunt. This is, <laughs> we're just trying to keep it funny Oh, here. you mean he didn't want to go to the po- politics yeah. at all. Well, yeah. that's funny. Why would, have, why would you have... Why even have him on? Yeah. That's his whole I mean, thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... I don't know. I don't know, but he's interesting. He's an interesting person. I, that's why I say, like, he, I don't know. He, he tends to think about things, and, uh-huh. he, and he definitely strikes me as someone who's really neurotic. Does that come through in the documentary at all, or...? Oh, absolutely, yeah. He's, yeah. He, he, you know, it shows him being tired of constantly being exposed to people. I mean, it's exhausting what he had to go through. I mean, it's just constantly people coming up to him. And, but at the same know. time, it's exhilarating. You can, you can, obviously, he loves the, uh, the edge experience. He doesn't like sitting in a room and just doing nothing. He, mm. He's like all good entertainers, like all good performers of any kind, including writers. Uh, you like being out there, and you, know, you don't like, uh, well... Like Sasha and I, you don't like just sitting in your <laughs> sitting in your safety place. So. Because you know what, sitting in a safety place isn't really in a safety place because you're putting stuff out all the time, mm. and people are telling you whether you're uh, you're on it or you're an idiot or whatever. So you know, right, it's the right. same thing. It's the same thing, but you're you're within the comfortable confines of your own home, and yes, it hurts you the same way. But you can you can lash out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can fight back, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's not necessarily people can see your face, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, in real life, people would never say the things they say to you online ever. Yeah. The stuff they say on your on your message board, Jeff, on your comments, they would mm-hmm. never say to your face. And you've no doubt felt it before. If any of you have ever like felt like you wanted to bitch at someone anonymously, you know, um, it's very alluring to be able to do that. If I were to meet Bradley Cooper at a party, I can assure you, even before I heard him speak French, I would just, it would be a whole different thing. So, uh. <laughs> Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're pretty yeah. blunt, Jeff. I mean, your interviews, you know, when you, you know, I can I remember the John C. Riley interview you did and um, what was the other one, Kim Cattrall, where you would just flat out tell them that their last movie sucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, what, what, you, you've got what, more of that than most people do. So I I, props to you for that. 
<laughs> and what did you say, well, Jeff? To you know, that? the actors will be the first ones to tell you that a movie they were in wasn't that good. I mean, you know, or that they, if they know they were into something really uh, worthwhile, something they're going to be proud of when they're ninety years old. You know, when Ben, ben Stiller was talking about um, about Greenberg, I mean, he, there's no question he he made one of the, one of the more memorable films of his career. That was no question. And when he makes something like, uh, you know, The Last Meet the Parents. There's no ambiguity, and you can you can read between the lines pretty clearly what he really thinks about it. You know, it's just a good cash cow that he's going to be in, and it'll be fine. You know, nobody's going to hate him for it. So right, right. they're they're pretty honest with themselves about what, whether the, their movies are any good or not. Yeah. Well, what about when you asked Steven Soderbergh at that party about his about his film and he got oh, mad? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no! All I said was, do you know? I mean, I I believe that just like as I was making an example that <clears throat> when Julie. Tamer, who was famously fired off uh, Spider-Man, um, Turn Off the Dark, um, and, and involved now in a lawsuit about uh, you know, recovering lots of money that she's owed. Yeah. And you know, Bono didn't exactly sit idly by as she was fired. He said, okay, let's get rid of her because it's not working. Hmm. Then she shows up on opening night. And she takes a bow, and she kisses Bono, and, you know, everybody's like, okay, that happened, but now we're, the show is opening, and I'm part of this. And someone said, do you sort of miss not being part of it? And she says, I am part of it, you know, oh, I am God, here. Wow. This is, this is my, partly my show, and I'm proud, and all the rest of it. So, you know, you just move on. So all I was saying to Soderbergh was, did they invite you to see Moneyball? And he thought it was bizarre that I would even mention that. <sighs> you know, fired off it. I says, do they invite me to something that they fired me off? And I said, no, well, you know, just water under the bridge is what I mean. I mean, they respect you, obviously. You're Steven Soderbergh. You, you worked your tail off on your version, and they made another version. That doesn't mean that they hate you. They didn't want you to see the film. You know, it's just, that happened. You know, that, that line that Alec Baldwin says in the David Mamet thing, State in Maine, when, yeah. his, when his car flips over, he gets oh. out and goes, okay, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know. Oh man, they're a great team. You got to move on. You know, ex ex boyfriends, ex girlfriends. Well, that, that wasn't too nice, was it? But that happened. Now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you guys think of that trailer? You want to get into that a little bit? I think it's the trailer worth talking about. Oh. Moneyball. Oh, I think it's um, it's well based upon what I saw in the trailer, which I I mean, I obviously he and Jonah Hill have a great uh, rapport going, and I had thought as I wrote in the column, I thought it was going to be him and Philip Seymour Hoffman because Hoffman is always colorful and always intriguing, and he's always doing something that you. But obviously, it's Pitt and Jonah Hill. That's going to be great. So I, I'm really sold already. On top of the early reviews that I had been sent by a couple of people that I know um, what, a couple of months ago or in March, I think. And I called, when I read them, I called Bennett Miller and I told him that I was very enthused about it and can't wait to see it and all that. And so I think this is a, one of the ten right there. It's, it sounds great to wow. me. So. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and it seems like definitely maybe an acting nomination in there, best adapted screenplay probably, right? Mm -hmm. in, in contention for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a you know, smart sports movie, which we don't get many of those. So, hmm. you know. Doesn't really have a, a great uh, baseball story. It doesn't have a, ba a great big, all sports stories have the big win at the end, you know, they go to the World Series or whatever. And it's, this is a little more about the business side of it. And someone 
compared it or said it was somewhat analogous to social network because it's very specific and it's about uh, it's it's really not telling a typical sports story. So hmm. interesting. It's well, about, you know. Anyway, <laughs> we talk about uh, Diablo Cody for a second. Yes, let's hear what you have to say about Diablo Cody because well, I don't really have anything to say about her, but I, I will listen. <laughs> and that's what I was going to ask you because I remember you saying something uh, about. Uh, young adult that she uh, has written and it has a reputation oh yeah last year we talked about that right yeah and we and you said I, I really don't have any particular interest in seeing or I'm not terribly interested in seeing a movie about a, a woman with, uh, with who's selfish and has personality issues and is um, <clears throat> kind of myopic in, in her worldview and uh, she tries to wreck a marriage because her ex-boyfriend she kind of wants to get back with him and this, well, listen, uh, it whole... totally so, no. That does sound really interesting. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds I, I think... to me exactly like Marco at the wedding. Yeah, right? yeah. If it's I mean, Marco at the, the wedding, exact... a little bit like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll probably be more commercial though, I think. But it's the same basic premise. You know? So I asked her during the Q and A yesterday, last evening. I said, um, I haven't read read it. I've kind of almost done it out of choice. But my understanding is that uh, this is a far less congenial. Jason Reitman film mm. than what, uh, and she said, actually, that's a pretty good word to describe uh, his films. Uh, you know, they're, they're good and, they're, and they have an undercurrent and they, they mean something, but they are generally congenial. This, these are, they're not uh, abrasive. They're not uh, difficult to sit through. They're not like deeply uncomfortable. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they're agreeable films. And she says, this is, um, this is like a little out of that wheelhouse it's a little 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 darker and and maybe not as entertaining or the kind of thing that people might expect when they see Diablo Cody wrote it because they associate her with smart tart dialogue in the Juno mm. mode and this is uh, something else I think that but I'm um, glad she's getting away from it yeah me too and I hope it's a little more like thank you for smoking which I did think was really good and showcased Jason Reitman's um talent better sure. than yeah. up in the air which did not hold up. I liked it the first time I saw it, but subsequent viewings, it just felt really empty to me, you know. Um, but the interesting thing about Jason Reitman is, you know, I have to try to curb my own chip on my shoulder about the way I grew up in my life versus someone who, you know, kind of was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and had all the privileges, went to private school, basically had his career handed to him, although he says he didn't, he had to work for it. But come on, we all know that it's a lot easier if you're Jason Reitman to get a film made. But it just means that doors are open when you start. It just means that doors are open. It doesn't help. Yeah, and he definitely has the talent to prove. He's definitely shown that he is a talented filmmaker. My question with him and with, with people like that is that, you know, to, to really be a good storyteller and to really be able to um, move people. I think you have to have really suffered and struggled in your life. You know, that's just my own personal belief. And I think you have to have lived a little, you know, and if you haven't lived a little, then, um, you have to either be extraordinary like Orson Welles, you know, or you've had to have a pretty rough upbringing to shape the way that you think. I mean, am, am I just totally out of my Well, no, mind didn't, there? can I just ask though, didn't Orson Welles come up from a somewhat privileged, uh, that's what I just say. Itself. That's why I say you have to be Orson Welles, who is was extraordinary for a very short time, you know. Um, but he was. He was a genius, the guy, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Citizen Kane is still the best movie I've ever seen. So. 
But I, I'm, I'm what do you think of uh, Deb Diablo Cody's um, uh, declaration that in a perfect world, if she could, she would love to write uh, a biopic of Brian Wilson talking about somebody who was hot for a very short time? Yeah, why, why, so why isn't she writing that? I guess she intends to. She, what she was just saying is what would you ideally, what would be your dream project? And she just said that. And then I went down and asked her later, and she said uh, she hasn't put one word uh, to paper yet, but, it's, uh, but it's, it's something that's in her, and she will probably get it out at one point. Uh, she probably yeah. needs you know, development money or something to, to do it. Uh, or maybe she'll just do a spec. Who knows? She should. Well, just yeah. Do I mean, wouldn't somebody own the rights to his story or something at this point? I would think. Uh, you know, it seems like that's something that would be scooped up pretty quickly, yeah. or or like a the most popular book about him, mm-hmm. or something like that. So I'm sure somebody out there. I'm I'm sure she's not the only one thinking about it. Let me put it that way. You know, it's um, right, right. I'm sure other people have it in various stages or are kicking it around. So well, I know mm. that she. I remember when she first started. I'm talking about Juno and stuff. She was saying how she had been involved in a Beach uh, Beach Boys message board, right? A group of Beach Boys. She was saying she had been obsessed with them for years. So I think she's a great person to write it. But yeah. I do think she should write it on spec. I think I hate it when people get caught up in that trap of I'm not going to write it because I believe in it. I'm only going to write it if someone gives me some money. You know, screw that. Just write it. If it's good well, enough, the, someone will buy it. That's when I when I think of that. I think of Harrison Ford saying that he doesn't even read a script unless his his quote has been will will come his way. He won't talk about some lower budget thing. And and I would think, particularly at this stage, when he's the old older man, uh, crusty older guy, that he would he should just free himself and just stop all that obsessive. I've got to get my twenty million dollar thing mm-hmm. before it's, it's absurd. You know. Yeah, exactly. I agree. But I also think it's it's just to do with you know what we don't know. The other side of it is how many times they've been screwed over, how many hours and years they've wasted on projects that have just turned out either to not pay them or to be complete you know pieces mm-hmm. of crap. So I guess that's their way of protecting themselves. Like for Diablo Cody, I'm sure she's like, <clears throat> I don't want to waste all this time and then just have it go nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. the money's a guarantee of something. So. I guess that's in in her favor, but I do think she should write it because she's a great one to, or write something like it, you know, influenced by Brian Wilson, but a, a biography of somebody else that reflects um, Brian Wilson's life, you know, something that isn't necessarily his life story, but something that is influenced by him. I was, um, I, I listened to an audio tape once of him in the mid 70s, I think it was. This is somebody had just surreptitiously taped this. And he was working on a, on a boogie woogie song that he was trying to refine, and it was fascinating to listen to him because he was in this uh, kind of uproarious, uh, uh, kind of playful, infantile mood, and he was laughing at his own stuff and yet at the same time singing it. And then, uh, uh, kind of, you know, he clearly was not a person uh, tethered to any sobriety at the, at, at the point but to listen to him uh, play around with this kind of rolling boogie woogie sound and then kind of get get all, get these off chords uh, together and make them sound just right and he would make a mistake and then go back and play it over and over again. I just think the most fascinating pieces of, uh, of kind of raw music that I've ever heard. Hmm. Mm. Wow. Great. So Jeff, what did you see Diablo Cody talking about? I know you wrote about it, but what was it that you were 
It was uh, not uh, a film. It was just strictly a screenwriter's thing in which she and Dustin and Lance Black and three others um, just talk, just talked about. It's one of those seminar things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who else was there? What other screenwriters? Well, I'll tell you what's happened is that uh, I don't have their their names committed to memory. And <laughs> Did that happen? And I'm I'm it trying happened. to remember. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I can't. I can, I've got this. Uh, I don't know what's going on with my life. Oh, Jeff, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is what uh, Jack Nicholson once. I, I was I was talking to him about uh, about uh, jackets once. This is a uh, 1980s interview I did with him, and uh, it's. I think I told you this story, right? You know, I go into mm. the. Carlisle Hotel and Bobby. Yes, it's a great story, though. Yeah. Tell it again. Anyway, he he jumps the track. He suddenly isn't talking about what you thought you were talking about. He's talking about something else. Mm. Anyway, so that's what I was just doing a second ago. But I'm trying to remember. I can't. I'll tell you what happened. What um, do you mean you jumped the track? I don't understand. I um, don't know. I said I don't know what's going on with my life. What I meant is I I can't I can't get out of Safari right now. Safari gets into this kind of funny mode where I can't click out of pages. And I'm trying to find. You the have to just quit there. the stupid thing. You have to quit Safari. Force quit. Just yeah, that's the way to do it. Force right. quitting is your friend with a Mac. Yes, exactly. Uh, because it goes boop. You know, nothing mm-hmm. can move. I don't know what it is about Safari, but I've never had that with. Uh, it's because it takes up a huge amount of memory. I'm just learning this as I've been using it. I never used to use it. I only used Chrome or Firefox. Mm-hmm. But man, mm-hmm. it's definitely Safari's a um, a processor hog for sure. It's, okay. a, it's a resource hog, so you got to, you know, use it sparingly. It shouldn't so be I your d- main browser. <sighs> Sorry to say. Uh, yeah. Firefox is still the best one. Yeah, the new version's really good too. I just downloaded that. Oh, did you? Well, oh, yeah. What is that yeah. called? Eight point something, or what is? It? <laughs> no, I think it's four or something. I, I don't know. I, I got the message saying, "Hey, download this," and I did, and it's it's good. It's faster. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I can't uh, remember those guys, but they, anyway, that's all it was. It was just a. Uh, it was a good chat though, and um, I came in a little bit late because they were holding people up because there weren't that many seats, and. Um, I could see she was uh, kind of, she spotted me and she kept looking in my direction as I was taking pictures. Uh, she had, I, I saw her at a uh, demonstration for the writer, when the Writers Guild was on strike. Mm-hmm. And she told me she was a... A reader. A reader. That's nice. That's nice. Feels good. I know. Someone Everybody you like and I, I admire her a lot. So. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, I sort well, of what's your, what's your issue with it? You, you, you said you had an issue with her. So what is it that... Um, I don't really have an issue with her. I, I really like her. I mean, I it's complicated with Diablo Cody, right? Because you... I mean, most people who like her kind of have a love-hate thing with her, I think. She's... Um, she's interesting. She's a very talented writer, but I think during... Juno, when she was on her Oscar run, it just got to be too, like, this is Diablo Cody, a character, you know? And I was much more intrigued by her when she became Brooke Busey on Twitter and had a baby and became a real human being, you know, the the kind Mm -hmm. of strange, kitschy sort of persona she was selling. Well, I Mm -hmm. think that it's interesting because it competes with male screenwriters, and I like the fact that she was a writing star and a female, and you don't really usually see that. But I think when you have a shtick, you know, you can get too... 
married to it and it becomes too much like a Diablo Cody thing. And I just thought she was better than that, you know? And I, I actually thought that there were really interesting parts of that vampire movie. What was it called? Um, that horrible bomb, box office bomb, Karen Kusa, Karen, uh, what's her name? Oh, Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's Body. Yeah. yeah. I thought that I it had some interesting things about it, you know? I didn't uh, find, I, I wasn't too pleased with that film, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see, um, the, the, you ever seen the, the, uh, the, 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 you know, the multiple personality thing, uh, uh, United States of Terror? No, I haven't. I haven't looked at that, but it's supposed to be pretty good. You know, I don't have an issue with Diablo Cody per se. I think she's really talented. I just, mm -hmm. during Juno, you know, you just get sick of people, you know, when yeah. they're too out there and they're overexposed. And she got overexposed, but <clears throat> she stepped back and, you know, she's... Have you ever seen her interview show? Yeah, I saw a little bit of it. It was funny. <laughs> she did an interview with Megan Fox. Yeah, that was great. I thought it was great. Saw it, huh? Yeah, I saw it. I thought she was great. Megan Fox was funny, and um, Diablo Cody. That's the Diablo Cody that I really like. Is somebody who is just out there, you know, saying what she thinks, but not necessarily writing her line. You know, I don't know. Never mind. I'm just going to cut this out. I'm not saying anything important. No, no. So you know, you know, I was going to just lead into something because she, uh, uh, she was talking to her. I think it the the idea was to try and um, and be a. Um, flatter her as being uh, a pretty um, interesting, edgy, uh, cool person who has, uh, you know, uh, cares and, 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 and obsessions and, you know, is, is, is a real player and not a fickle, not very bright person who was fired by Michael Bay. That was what came out of the whole losing Transformers thing mm -hmm. uh, when she was suddenly off that film. And yesterday I noticed a story that I put up about how... The way I put it was, it turns out that Michael Bay, who had ostensibly canned her off Transformers 3 for her saying that he was like Hitler and that he was dictatorial and impossible to work with, uh, it turns out that, uh, that Michael Bay was Charlie Partana, and the guy who really uh, said push the button on her, get rid of her, was Don Corrado, uh, Steven Spielberg, the executive hmm. producer, who said really? fire, fire her right now. He did. According to what Michael Bay said to the Daily Mail, and it came out in the Daily Mail yesterday. You're this, kidding. This is during, um, uh, you know, uh, press for Transformers 3, uh, uh, junket stuff. So Now, I would be a little bit, feel a little bit better about the Daily Mail. They would say, who it was by? They say by Daily Mail reporter. So it's some person uh, sending stuff to them, I guess, from a junket. But that's what was on, in press. I mean, that was what was in print yesterday, and it's right there right now, that Steven Spielberg said, get rid of her. Yeah. Wow. That's even worse for her then. I mean, Bay is, you know, it's not an enemy you want to make, but you definitely don't want to be on Steven Spielberg's shit list. No. I mean, that's just, that's pretty disastrous. Yeah. No, no, you don't. I mean, I was talking to a guy, an actor at this family fundraiser, and he was saying that um, he's on, he's in Jurassic Park 3, no, Jurassic Park 2, and he's in Super 8, and he... Um, you know, he kind of hovers around Spielberg's world a little bit, and he says, you know, everybody on the set is clamoring just to get five minutes with him because knowing him, having any kind of connection with him, it can totally change your life forever in Hollywood, you know? It's, mm -hmm. So you definitely don't want to get on his shit list. <laughs> Although, yeah, I don't know what Megan Fox was hoping would happen with her career, you know? I don't think that leaving a Michael Bay film was... Uh, 
Well, she he's um, he's a kind of a, 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 a he's every time I, I see him he's uh, he's with a, um, a very foxy sort of bimbo like girlfriend. I think he probably sees women in, in a certain way, and she probably felt that he wasn't. Uh, getting her and that he was objectifying her which is what Shia LaBeouf has said that he's kind of like he's he's like that he's very also very demanding and he does you know say you know come on snap to it he doesn't mm-hmm. uh, kind of coax you into things um well, but, she was expecting uh, what by doing Transformers? Well, I guess the, she didn't want to be a sex object, I guess. Maybe she felt after two movies she wanted to have a little more something. I don't know. What the, but, I, but I take it she felt that he was uh, not a day at the beach in terms of somebody to work for, which is, um, you know, like Cameron, like other people. That's mm. just the way he is. Right, right. There might still be hope for her. She's, she's got a supporting part in Apatow's new thing, right, which I'm actually kind of looking forward to with in, um, Albert Brooks and Paul Rudd and Leslie um, what's his wife's last name? Man, Leslie Man. You know, I'm completely forgetting. I know that there is an Apatow thing with uh, Albert Brooks playing somebody's dad. Paul Rudd's dad, yeah. Okay. And what's the name of the project again? I think it's still untitled, but it's basically, I think, what he's doing is taking the, the married couple from Knocked Up, Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann. Mm-hmm. I, I got her name right. I'm, am, I not, am I screwing that up? For some reason, I think I am. <laughs> no, his wife, you no, mean? His wife? Name. You're talking about Judd Apatow's wife, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, Leslie okay. Mann. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's the two of them, and uh, you know, it's going to pick up with those characters. And I guess she's in it. I don't know in what way, but she has a supporting role in it. So that could, yeah, that could be a nice little thing. Well, God for bless him for keeping his wife employed. I think that's so sweet. Although, <laughs> I don't necessarily think it's the best career move for him, but. I think it's she doesn't thing. drag anything down. She's just—I uh, don't think she probably would be be doing as well or no, as well known, were it not for for him. But right. um, I don't think she's a, you know, dead weight or anything. She's okay. She's okay. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I don't have any problem with her. I just, you know, when you get to be like that, when you, I think you risk something when when all you become is like I'm going to make my wife a star. You know, yeah. um, you lose a little bit, but. Who am I yeah, to say? Was, Look, he's the successful one. I'm the one sitting here podcasting about it. So <laughs> 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 it really, I don't have a case. But anyway, what were you saying, Phil? I'm sorry. I interrupted. There, there were a couple of scenes in Funny People where she went, she's getting too, you know, too showy and too, hey, look at me, Oscar. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then, yeah. And overall, I, overall, she was good in it. And, you know, uh-huh. I was a fan yeah. of that. I think that to, he really went in a new direction there. And I think it was really underrated. So I'm, I'm looking forward to his, to his next thing. He yeah, obviously sure. loves his wife, you know, and I think that's so sweet that he does and that he really wants, you know, it's, a, it's like Steven Spielberg, Kate Capshaw territory, you know, it's, uh-huh. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's good and bad, you know, it's really sweet, but it also, I think your audience at some point, it's like, they're there to see Judd Apatow be funny, not necessarily well, to What see did Steven Spielberg keep putting Kate Capshaw in his movies? He's, they only did one, right? Which was the second Indiana Jones film. No, I don't think so. He he backed a movie called The Love Letter and stuff like that. I think he's you know he's tried to help her for a while there to have a career, but in acting, you know. But at some point, it just sort of all died. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's how pe- audiences start to feel when a director's sort of pushing their wife on on their audience. You know, it's like uh-huh. they like her and everything, but they're not really going to see a Judd Apatow movie to see Leslie Mann in it. You know. I think it's sweet, though. I do. I just want to say I think it's a really wonderful thing that he does, and it's not all about money and power and success, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> or maybe it is. I don't know. 
Hey, by the way, uh, this week um, uh, I finally get to see Bad Teacher, which um, there, yeah. there were some initial notices that weren't so hot. Then I read a couple of things that uh, – do you have any clue, Phil? Do you know anybody who's seen it? Or I know you like to wait until the – night before but uh, yeah our critic liked it uh todd gilchrist he gave it four stars so yeah. we're on the pro side um yeah i mean i was kind of i thought it looked like a stinker too but it seems like the, the general word about it is it's pretty funny and um it's kind of the theme now is going to be that you know women own raunchy comedies in, in summer 2011 because you'll have this uh, you know following bridesmaids so and also yeah. one that just screened at the um, los angeles film festival with Kate Bosworth, the one that uh, Steven Zeichick wrote about, about three women living in a Silver Lake home and one of them has a kid, hmm. decides to raise it, and it's a, it's a relationship comedy about how it all changes their lives to have a little boy. Oh, that out. sounds great. It's a comedy? Yeah. Not a tragedy? <laughs> in, in the raunchy mode. <laughs> and and the, the, the director uh, says to Steven Zeichick, well, that's, that's fine if you want to compare our film to uh, to Bridesmaids but you know I, I was writing this thing four years ago uh, before Bridesmaids was a gleam in uh, Christian Wig's eyes so you know but that's fine you know if that's oh, where, part of the raunch thing that's that's fine with me uh oh well felt like he sort of pissed off well you know I mean if you were doing something first and then somebody saying well you're here you are joining the Bridesmaids mm. you know raunchy female thing well you know, she's just saying, well, not really, but I'll, I'll take it. That's what you want to say. Gets yeah. people to the theater, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all that really matters in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Are people going to see your movie? Fine. Then right. I'll and anything funny. playing at the LA Film Festival is going to have a hard time getting an audience anyway. Most of the stuff that, that we're hearing about, you know, that they're kind of wanting people to see. The big movies, obviously, no problem. But um, <clears throat> So anyway, Jeff, what else is going on in the LA Film Festival? <laughs> There's a, uh, they're just, uh, yeah, again, I, I, I'm frozen here. I can't shut uh -oh. it down and, and Did still you force do this. Quit? So. Force quit. Well, I don't, it didn't even let me do that. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, yes, I can force quit. Sorry, I, I wasn't thinking. I thought it was going to, yeah. uh, I could, I, because I, I tried to do a whole bunch of things and now I'm okay. All right, okay. fine. Okay. Boy, so you're saying that there's a, how do you know, by the way, that, um, that um, Safari is significantly uh, has more memory uh, demands than other browsers. Uh, you read that. Uh, what's the ratio? How do you? I have a. Um, I, everybody has on their computer a resource um, monitor, yes. a resource okay. monitor, and you just have to look at that. Um, I don't see where you find it. Maybe you could do a search for it, and okay. it'll show you what's using all your processing power and i did that once and i was stunned to see how much that used i couldn't believe it mm. i didn't think safari was such a big i mean the reason that i wanted to use it is because i thought it was cleaner and more streamlined you know but uh -huh. it's not it's um it's really big and powerful program so well um it's funny i use my my favorite photo um um uh, um refining uh you know uh, software to to uh you know resize and and refine photos is picnic and mm -hmm. which is like a i guess it's for dummies but it's perfect for me because i'm not sophisticated enough to figure other things out and it's not even an app it's just a, a website you know what i'm talking about yeah. right yeah uh-huh sure but you don't use um photoshop 
I've never used Photoshop. It, wow. just, it defeated me early in life, and I've never gone back to it. I used to use, when I was a PC person, um, a, a, pro, a program that I used to pay pretty good money for. And, and Picnic is free, and it's the best one I've ever had. The, the manipulations are, are beautiful. I, mm -hmm. I love it. But I can't use it for, um, I mean, it, do, it certainly doesn't work on Firefox. It simply doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't uh, function, but it does on Safari. So that's really the basis of, of my Safari allegiance. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, interesting. Well, yeah. Um, anytime you want a copy of Photoshop, let me know. <laughs> it's, it just sounds like it's way too much trouble. I oh, just, you know, God, it's uh, the best. You can't not have Photoshop. I never used it in my life. Wow. Well, once you go back, once you start using it, you'll never want to not use it. Wow. Well. Um, uh, I, I think the ship has sailed, and I and I am. Uh, I like, uh, you know, applications and you know for dumb, for dumber people, which is definitely what I am. I'm just not as smart as you are. You're always <laughs> you're not dumb. Jeff. No, you're just. It's easy. Photoshop is super easy to use. You know. Um, well, I'm if I take a it. night school class sometime, I'm, I'm mm. sure someone points that out. So. Larry Crown, too. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Ball's learning Photoshop in thousand dollars. And, and also riding around on a scooter. <laughs> yeah, oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got the scooter going, too. Yeah, look at that. Larry <laughs> I, I did ask them yesterday at Universal, what about this scooter parade, which I'd like to really be part of, seriously. Um, uh, I want to take part in this Larry Crown scooter thing with supposedly Tom Hanks and, and like, 100 or 200, 300 scooters in a big parade going down uh, from the valley somewhere down <laughs> to Hollywood. And I want to uh, get a camera. You know, I've got the two cameras. I want to fix, fix some kind of helmet device where I can, uh, you know, have the uh, thing on and it'll just like shoot uh, from my helmet and I don't have to fool around with it. So, anyway, that's the plan. Are you going to do Are they going to let you do it? Well, I would think that what's the downside? Why not? You know, I don't I mean, know. That, I don't know. It's funny. You know, it's it's an upside because you could t attach a um, a camera to your ha yeah. handlebar and just film the whole thing on video as you drive down. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. that would yep. be so cool. Yeah, just a little thing. It won't won't mean that much, but uh, who knows how good this film is? Um, that's something that's apparently being kept secret. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know too many people that have seen it. Uh, do you? Does mm -hmm. anybody know? No. Anybody? I haven't heard anything about New York screenings. No, I don't know yet. But, I mean, you guys are always ahead of us, so, you know, you'll see it before we do. That's for sure. But I'm not a New Yorker anymore. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you guys, will, <laughs> L.A. will see it. Before. Oh, oh. I, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. But, so they, uh, they junketed, I believe, last weekend because Tom Hanks did a Twitter saying, you know, worn out from all the interviews. Hmm. So. Okay, so yeah, has been seen then. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, my gut is that it's just going to be a, a pleasant, nice little thing. You know, it's going to be agreeable, and and that's it. Not Oscar caliber or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. But they're probably hoping though that it'll be Oscar caliber, but or maybe not. <laughs> no. I mean, if it was, it wouldn't be coming out. You know, October, November. You know, I don't think they put it in the summer if they really felt they had a chance with two mm. you know heavyweight people who've been to the been to the dance before no you're right you're right absolutely they're going for the rom-com crowd who we all we want to see a movie with julia roberts and tom hanks <laughs> <laughs> well love. there's you know there's always room for those movies in the summer i mean it's perfect counter-programming adults who don't want to see you know transformers mm. three that weekend. Mm -hmm. you know it's and, and are sick of every you know, I uh, my grandmother's in her 80s, and I still talk to her about, you know, what she 
goes to see in the movies and she she hates the summer because every weekend it's like you know th- things aimed at teenagers and young males and then I know. that's it oh she God. has nothing to go see so those kind of people you know come out in droves or, or can for something like Larry Crabb. I know I'm so gross because I'm totally the target demo for it and it's so right up my alley <laughs> I'm just like I'm really looking forward to seeing it, but if given the choice of seeing that or a lot of other movies that are out right now, I definitely have to choose that one. So sad. You missed a really good uh, a Sunday party, by the way. Oh yeah, I mean, how was it? Yeah, tell me about it. When oh, it, it was at Philip Noyce's home. He's uh, has two children now. He has a new daughter, who's uh, who's really beautiful. She has the most captivating eyes. And she's only about three months or so. Mm. And, you know, I, I love uh, just talking to infants that can't talk. So, you know, eye contact and smiling and they hold your finger and everything. So oh, that was a lot Jeff, of fun. sweet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of just, you know, you forget. It's, once you've been there with it as, a, as a parent, you remember what it's, it was like to uh, just, you know, there's a special rapport you get with from kids who can't talk yet. It's really amazing. Oh, so. yeah. I know. I know it is. I always thought it was just a woman thing, you know, that we were just pre-programmed to fall madly in love. I didn't realize that men also felt that way. Yeah. So the uh, he's a, a big barbecue guy, and he has these this wonderful sauce that he puts on these steaks, and he puts uh, these steaks together, and they're just like you know, they they are uh, heavenly. They are orgasmic. They are the best tasting steaks I've ever had. And he big, brings out these huge plates of them. And then he brings out these big sausages. And he brings out chicken. And he brings out lamb. And all these, you know, he kills you with, with meat. And you're like saying, Philip, I can't, I can't. Then there's the salads. And then there's mm. the fruit. And then there's the, you know, all this other stuff. You really have to just, um, you know, just... Get used to saying in a nice way, thank you so much. I can't eat anymore. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's like, you know, you, you, I felt it took me about three hours to recover. Because, you know, that feeling put me in a wheelbarrow. Just wheel me out of here. You know? Yeah, the food coma, yeah. yeah. Well, so what, like, what uh, movie was he promoing? He's just having a party. He lives on Rim, on, uh, in Hancock Park. Oh, and, and, and he just—he's uh, uh, been around for a while, and he's been living here for about four months, five months. He had been in—he just was in Vietnam recently um, to uh, be. They—they they love him because of the Quiet American, because that very much, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, their movie, because it—it it takes the view, if you recall, that. Uh, that uh, you know, they're, they're the Americans and and the French and the colonists in general were, were kind of bad guys, and and that Vietnam. Right now, he says Vietnam is full of. There's a there's a there's a millionaire, a super billionaire, millionaire t- a bracket of of people that are with their with their Mercedes. There's a lot of people that are living uh, kind of agrarian lifestyles, and there's a lot of people sort of just getting by. But you know, if you're if you if you go there and you're you're a Vietnam war veteran and you and you look at this fairly happy country with beautiful uh, beaches and and uh, and doing okay uh, economically their their labor is much cheaper you know so it's they've got a tech industry they've got tourism they've got rubber all these things so you you say why did 58,000 American boys get killed over here what was this about because what do we do what did we accomplish 
nothing, absolutely nothing, except the fact that we fought a war. Right. And 58,000 men ended their lives over there. Mm. It's mm. just pathetic. That's the American story. That's what, the, that's what uh, Afghanistan, the final chapter, will be. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're not going to accomplish anything there. We're not going to. Now that we got the bad guy, you know, quote unquote, uh, we'll be out yeah. and leave them holding their, holding their own. Not to right. get, you know, <laughs> no, you're right. On a soap, on a on my uh, shoebox here, but that's okay. Yeah. It's Oscar poker. We could talk about anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if there was one chance in five, or one chance in ten, or one chance in twenty that that the there could be an actual like, okay, we've won, we've 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 created a you know Middle Eastern state in our image, then I you know I could see what they're trying to do. But there's not even one chance in a hundred that we can prevail. But that's not stopping Barack Obama and his Pentagon guys. They think, well, we've got to do this because the right insists upon it. We can't. And it's the same thing that uh, Lyndon Johnson was afraid of in the 60s, uh, of the right uh, coming down on them like thunder, like, like, you know, death itself if they were to abandon the the cause over there. And it's just horrendous. It's sickening when I think of of young people getting killed for for the for ego and, and ignorance yeah. yeah i don't think it's just the right i mean i think it's just the military industrial complex and they you know really have no party affiliations i mean they just want war no matter what they don't give a shit whether it's a republican or a democrat in there yeah they're gonna get what they want you know yeah. it's the um who, who who made the why we fight movie was that um was that eugene jarecki did that or oh yeah that was excellent yeah. i love that yeah film. you know that's 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 it in a nutshell i mean yeah. You guys, I gotta go, so we have okay. to say our goodbyes now because I, I my yoga class is in five minutes. All right, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so okay. we'll, we'll, we'll take it up next week. From more to yoga, very good, very good transition. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, like it. it's so lame. All right. So, well. so next week we'll have at least a bad teacher to talk about and maybe a couple <laughs> other things. But uh, yeah. I'm seeing the New York Times movie again at the LA Film Festival. That's another one I want to see for a second time. I do too. When is that playing? Remind me. So uh, it's the night after Pete Hammond uh, does it. Uh, he tried to get David Carr and the director, and they both aren't coming in because of some scheduling thing, but they will be there for the L.A. Film Festival. I think it's Wednesday night, I think. Oh, the the one that's the Q&A with David Carr, right? When's yeah, that? I believe so. That's Wednesday? Okay. I think. I don't want to miss that, or, that. That or Thursday, one of the two. Yeah, okay. okay. All right, enjoy your class. We'll All right, talk. thanks, guys. Nice cool. talking to right, you. Thanks. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com, and Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com. The bumper music today is, of course, Bruce Springsteen Live with the fabulous, recently passed away, dear and brilliant saxophone player Clarence Clemens, and these songs are in tribute of him. Now you can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.
Demire! 